The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes, taking a long look at life under the sun. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 12, 9 through 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Sacred City Church and our guests. We are thankful to be have you guys worshiping with us this morning, and I'm excited to be doing this again, to be filling the pulpit once again. It's been a while. Some of you guys are like, where's this dude been at? You know, it's like this is some sort of game show where, you know, last preacher standing, I've been eliminated, right? That's not the case. Uh, the reason I haven't been up here, which wasn't the plan coming into this year, I had planned to preach more frequently, but there's just been some things in my life that demanded my time, energy, and attention. So thankfully, Pastor Justin stepped up and preached more often than he was actually scheduled. And then we have other men, thankfully, to come and fill this pulpit as well. So that's important for our church. So we are thankful for that. But since it has been a while um, since I have been up here, and I'm sure there's new faces here at Sacred City, I just want to take a little bit of time to, to introduce myself, tell you a little bit about me. Um, I am one of the elders here at Sacred City. I'm a lay elder, meaning that I'm not on staff here. I don't work for the church. Um, I do have a day job that's in healthcare. I'm a chiropractor. I have an office over in Moline, the other side of the river. Um, I work over in Moline, but actually live over here in Davenport, just about a mile away with my wife, Emily, who maybe you have met. She's a um, deaconess of children's ministry. Um, we have been married for 13 years. We just celebrated our 13 year anniversary earlier in July. And uh, we've been busy. God has been gracious enough to allow us to bring five healthy children into this world together. So many of you guys already knew that, right? Maybe what you didn't know, especially if you haven't looked at my wife recently, is that we are bringing number six into this world in January. So thank you for that. But having said that, I know there's some jokesters in the crowd. And I know you're going to be shaking my hand leaving here. So I just want to get some quick questions answered, right? Yes, we do know what causes that. Right? Yes, we are on the lookout for a small bus, if you guys know where to get that from. And yes, we have no idea how we're going to afford to keep six kids alive. So, as Ben said, we don't take an offering, but today we're going to do something a little special for the Arguello family. We trust, as a Christian, that you're worshiping the Lord by donating to us. So, wish that was the case, but not the case. What are we doing today? We are actually finishing up the book of Ecclesiastes today. We've been in this book since the beginning of April, so a few months now. We've been going verse by verse through this book, which is typically how we preach here at Sacred City. We take whole books of the Bible and dive into them, bring out what God's Word is saying to us. 
I hope this series has been good for you guys. There have been some tough things to hear, I'm sure, and hopefully some joyful things to hear. But I'm sure we all remember very well at least one thing that the preacher has said. It's been repeated over and over again throughout the book. Life is what? Vanity. This word vanity had a few different meanings throughout the book, but overall it's saying there's very little to this life here on earth or under the sun, as Solomon put it, if you are living your life from an earthly perspective. In order for this life to have meaning, for it to matter, we need a different perspective. We need a higher perspective, right? One that comes from somebody above the sun. One that would have a heavenly perspective. I've been amazed just how relevant this book is for us living now. We who live thousands of years after this book was written in a time where we have so much opportunity and freedom to do what we want to do and say what we want to say, be who we want to be, and even live how we want to live. Our culture is all about autonomy for the individual, which most people think is great, thinks that that's how it should be. But even with all of that opportunity and freedom to do all that, is anyone you know truly happy? Do you know anyone whose life is absolutely awesome? Or are most of us looking for something more out of life than what we are currently experiencing? More health, more wealth, more comfort, more friends, more to just feel good about. I don't know if you guys have heard of this new phenomenon called social media. I was just really introduced last week, which some people say I'm kind of behind the times. But since I've been on it more, I can see why you might think that there are people out there who do have these amazing lives with no stress or no struggles because all they ever show is them on their amazing boat or with their amazing dogs or on this amazing date with their spouse who they just totally adore and never have any issues with. They show us this story that we look at and say, that's amazing, I wish I had that life. Well, maybe that is a true story for them, but my guess is that we're not getting the full story there. I think if you've been around here for any time at all and have dove into MC Life where we actually see a closer to real picture of what's going on in people's lives, then we know that a lot of this life actually stinks. There's a lot of stuff that happens that's not fun, that even seems evil, that seems to not have a good explanation for how it could be for our good. Statistics show us the same thing. Clinical depression right now in our country costs our healthcare system over $80 billion every single year. Close to 50% of marriages end in divorce. The suicide rate continues to go up every year, and it's getting so bad that ages, kids ages 10 to 14, more kids die from suicide now than die from auto accidents, which used to be the number one cause of death in children. So clearly, many of us have things that we're not happy with in life. So I think Solomon's message should be very relevant for us if that's you. But even if there are people we see with what looks like the perfect life and have everything that you could ever want, none of them had what King Solomon had. None of them have tested everything under the sun. None of them had as much money, as much power, as much fame, as much sex, as much wisdom. So his message should be relevant to them as well because he has experienced what they are experiencing. And he says, no matter how great things are, it's all vanity unless you take my advice. This advice will be summed up in our passage today. What Solomon has been trying to communicate to his readers in these 12 chapters is given a final stamp of approval 
And we are reminded for the final time of how our life could have true meaning, purpose, and be full of joy. It's not hard to see. The passage lays it out pretty clearly. And it's a very simple truth. Something taught in the first few questions of most catechisms, if you're familiar with catechisms. But my hope is to not just show you this truth today, but to show you how beautiful of a truth it actually is. And do that through showing you these last five verses are urging us to believe it. That's where we're going. Before we do that, though, let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, um, as we already have sung today, you are the great one, and we are not. You are the creator and sustainer of all things, and we are just here to enjoy this if we can, Lord. So we just pray that today as we sit here and are under the preaching of your word, that you would help us. I'm sure there's many things that are going through our heads. I'm sure there's many things that we would want to be doing or think about doing later, Lord, but will you just calm those thoughts down, Lord? Would you make us aware of yourself and make us aware of your word, Lord? I have a lot down on paper. I have a lot to say today that you have been giving to me as I've been preparing. Um, I hope it doesn't take too long, but if it does, Lord, would you allow these people to sit and listen and again know that it's coming from you. It's coming from the creator and sustainer of all things, Lord. We can't receive this if you don't help us, Holy Spirit, so I pray that you would help the listeners, Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would help me as I try to preach the word of God this morning, and that it would be for our good, Lord, but also for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you read books at all, which hopefully is the case, you probably have seen that nowadays books, probably somewhere on the cover, have endorsements all over them. The more endorsements of this book, the better that you would think the book is going to be. Well, in the ancient Middle East, when wisdom literature was written, something similar was done. An endorsement from another prominent man of wisdom would write something at the end of the piece of literature, charging people to read it. That's what we have here in these five verses this morning. Someone other than the preacher saying a few things about Solomon's book of wisdom. These last five verses are an encouragement to listen to Solomon's message. In them, I believe we see five reasons to listen. With, this, with these reasons, this endorser is putting together this argument for his readers, his son primarily, to not only read this book, but also follow his wisdom. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So this endorser is letting us know that everything Solomon has said to us over the past few months wasn't just from him sitting down one day and journaling random thoughts, or these words weren't recorded from some one-time interview where he's just giving answers right on the spot. Every word he used, all the metaphors and illustrations, all the topics he chose, how many times he chose to say the same things, everything about what the preacher has shared with us has been mulled over again and again, deeply pondered on, talked about, prayed about, tested out. He took great care with the wisdom that he's passing on to his people. So for the first reason to listen that this endorser brings to the table is who Solomon was, the type of man he was in his old age, having been through and seen everything under the sun, 
Solomon gained all of this experience, gained all of this wisdom, but he didn't just keep it to himself. He let his wisdom out. He used it for good. He pursued others with it. And not only that, but he went to great ends to make sure that what he was passing on was going to be the best that he had and given in the best way that he could think of. This man loved and cared deeply for who he was writing to. We don't have time to get into it too much, but I think that what we just described is what we should be expect, what it should be expected from a pastor or a preacher. What they communicate should be well thought out, worked hard on, prayed over, and from a place of deep care and love for the listeners. I believe we have that with the men who preach and pastor at Sacred City, which hopefully is a blessing to all of you. But knowing that should make us more open to receiving what is said on a Sunday morning. That is what I believe this man is hoping for us with this first reason to listen. He's hoping to open up the listeners' minds and hearts with telling them where the wisdom is coming from, the type of man who wrote it, a wise man who worked hard on this book and cares deeply about who's going to read it. He knows they will be more likely to listen and apply this wisdom if they can trust who it's coming from. I've seen this in my own life. As a chiropractor and one who buys into a natural health philosophy, much of what I teach people is controversial. Some people just flat out believe that everything I say is complete garbage and not helpful. Swore I was going to get an amen there. <laughs> but not everyone. And I can tell you, the people that have changed their way of thinking about health and follow through with my recommendations, most of the time are people who know first that I care about them. They believe that I have their best interest in mind, that I would not direct them down a path that would lead to pain and suffering, but a path that would lead to their flourishing. So no matter how crazy my recommendation might sound, because there is this trust that has been built, they are willing to follow through on that recommendation. There has been more than likely been so much that Solomon has said in this book that we don't think and we don't trust is going to lead to our flourishing. There is much in the rest of the Bible, for that matter, that many of us believe is not what is best for us. But this verse should help us to see that the source of where they are coming from, the human part of them as well as the divine part of them, cares deeply about who they are going to affect. Verse 10 continues with this. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. It's hard to imagine how some of the words Solomon used could be considered delightful, but they are. And as it says here, they are truthful as well. Truth can be difficult to hear many times, but again, when it's coming from someone who we know clearly loves us and is out for our best, we can be open to receiving that truth as delightful. Remembering this has been important for me as I've lived life closely with Pastor Justin. Pastor Justin is very prophetic, meaning that he sees truth very quickly and has much boldness in proclaiming that truth to another if he sees it lacking in one's life. I have been on the receiving end of that truth proclaiming many a times in the past six years as I've been in relationship with him. You know when he's up here completely red-faced, veins popping out of his neck and screaming at one of the truth of the gospels to us? Just think about that happening in a small group of men sitting at a table at a coffee shop. 
maybe not the screaming in the veins, but what he's proclaiming, he's just as bold with. I've had to fight to remember in the moment when he's doing that with me, when I would like to defend myself with my words, sometimes even defend myself with a weapon, (laughs) this guy loves me. He cares about me. He cares about God and him being honored. So no matter how much I might dislike what he has to say or how he's saying it, what he says, what he is saying is truthful. And if I can remember that, his words end up being delightful to me. This has been the case many times. I can look back and see how much God has changed me through tough words that have been said to me. It was the relationship with the person speaking, the knowledge of how much they cared for me that opened me up for the words to be good news and words that would lead to change. That is this endorser's first attempt to convince us to take in Solomon's wisdom, to show us the man that he was and how much he cared so that we could take his words as delightful and apply them to our lives. His second and third reason to listen, we see in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. His second reason to listen is that wisdom is so important for our lives. We've heard this in previous sermons. Use wisdom to navigate your way through life. In this verse, he uses a proverb to express the benefit of the wisdom Solomon gave us. A goad was a pointy staff-like tool that was used to poke at the livestock that were doing work for the people of this time. It wouldn't severely harm these animals, but it would inflict just enough pain to stir them into action. That's one of the hopes of Ecclesiastes. Hearing Solomon's word would be just painful enough for us to get us to move in the right direction, the direction that he's calling us to. He then says Solomon's words are like nails or think big stakes that are driven into the ground to secure a large tent. These collected sayings are something to rely on, to keep us firmly fixed in the way that we should go and not allow us to drift off and be carried away in whatever direction the enemy or sin or the world may take us, like the winds of a storm could take a tent that's not properly nailed down. So being pushed down the right path and then staying on the right path is the importance of wisdom and a reason for us to take in Solomon's words. Our third reason is at the end of verse 11, And it's where he gives the ultimate endorsement. They are given by one shepherd. This endorser, who remember is another wise man himself, after reading through Solomon's teachings, he believes that they are the very words of God. This phrase, one shepherd, is used only two other times in the Old Testament, both found in the book of Ezekiel. It refers to the promised son of David, the shepherd king, the Messiah. If we look at the New Testament, we see Jesus, a son of David, the Messiah, and God with us, calling himself to the good shepherd in John 10, 11, referring to himself in Old Testament language. So this man is saying, take in this wisdom because it will point you down the right path, it will keep you on the right path, and they were written by a man with great experience and with great wisdom, a man who deeply cares about his readers, But if that isn't enough for you to trust them, know that these are the words from the author of life itself, and he approves of them. 
pretty good reason to take in the wisdom, I would say. Verse 12 builds on this. My son, he says, the primary reader of his endorsement, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now, he's not saying don't read other books or any other type of helpful literature. What he's saying to highlight this reason is beware of trying to do any searching for truth beyond what these collected sayings have revealed. God has given these words to you. Take them as truth. Wrestle with them for the rest of your life. Looking elsewhere beyond these will exhaust you. But looking to these words will bring you life. Because again, they are from the one shepherd who created and sustains all life. That brings us to verse 13, which is where the endorser gets to his summary of Ecclesiastes and we see our fourth reason to listen. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. To translate this first part in some more contemporary language, we might say, here's the deal. When it's all said and done, here's what really matters. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the simple truth. That's what Solomon's been trying to say. Ultimately, this is what he's been trying to point his readers to throughout the book. The interesting thing about Ecclesiastes is unlike most other books of the Bible that are pointing us towards the same truth, this book is written from a human perspective. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all teach the same thing. Fear God and keep his commandments. But it's coming from God himself. Literally giving each of his commands and having his people write them down. Moses etched them into stones. The message is coming from God. They should listen and do it because God, who just saved them from Egypt and just showed them his majesty and power, was telling them to do it. But Ecclesiastes, while still coming from God, is telling us this coming from a man. And just, not just any man, but the king of Israel, the leader of the very people God gave these commands to. But also a man who chose to live life his way and not God's. He went against God went against his commands, didn't have a reverence for him for much of his life. He also witnessed many others who lived just like him. And from all this experience, a greater experience of the things of the earth than anyone else has ever had in the history of the world, he is saying, you know what? That one we call Yahweh, man, was he right. Solomon is trying to say to his people, learn from what I have learned. Please, don't go and try to live life the way you think it should be lived and do whatever you think will fill your unquenchable desires. Don't do it. God came down to earth and told us that that way of living wouldn't go well for us. And I'm telling you now as one that said, yeah, right, God, I know what will make me happy. I know what a good, meaningful life looks like. I know better than you, God. Here's what I'm telling you. you listen to God. Listen to me. The way to bring meaning to your life, the way to find significance and satisfaction and meet all of your longings and all of your desires is to fear God and keep his commandments. What these men are trying to do is something that Emily and I have struggled to do for our children for the past couple years. 
as our older ones have had more experiences in the world and been tempted to go after short-term pleasures like all human beings tend to be bent towards. We try to come at this issue with the word of God, reminding them of what the Bible says about these things, as well as give illustrations of how things have went in our own lives as evidence that disobeying the commands of God will never turn out in your favor. That's so hard to believe for a child who's 7 to 13 years old, who are looking forward to their own experiences in life. But this is something that's not just a struggle for the young and immature, is it? All of us struggle with fearing the Lord, don't we? All of us struggle to keep his commands. All of us want to try what Solomon tried to some extent. In the middle of some of our conversations with our kids, Emily and I can tell that very little is getting through to them because there's something blinding them to the truth. There's this force field around their heads and for sure their heart. I many times get very frustrated with this. And I end up sinning against them with my words because for some reason I think I'm better than them. So I'm speaking to them like I'm way up here and they are way down here. But what I try to remember is I'm no different. I'm the same way. We all are the same way. We maybe have struggled to listen to any wisdom that Solomon has been trying to pass on to us because all we can think about is all of the things that we don't currently have in life. And our desire for them is so strong that we are powerless to let them go and look down a different path for our happiness. These desires might be for a more affluent life, to get out of debt, to have a spouse and start a family, to start a career, to maybe change your career path, to look better naked. (laughs) It might even just be some personal time without the stresses of life filling your every moment. Now, I could have listed out desires that are easier to see why they are sinful. And yes, pornography, sexual immorality, drunkenness, all of these things can keep us from seeing this better path as well. But what I listed out are things that aren't necessarily bad. Solomon has even called us to enjoy things like this in Ecclesiastes. But the question that we have to ask is, are these ruling our lives? Are they so strong that they are the determiner of our happiness. That is what we are being warned against here. Solomon and this endorser and God wants to say to us, that won't go well for you. That way of thinking is striving after the wind, it's vanity. God through this wise man is giving us all these reasons, three of which we've already heard, to try to convince us to take into our heads and into our hearts what he truly wants from us and for us, to fear him and obey him. Now I know accepting that is a struggle. It's a struggle because we think that fearing God and keeping his commands is not good for us. We think that we are so smart, don't we? We think that with all the wisdom that we've gained over the years and all the experience that we have, we know way better than God what's good for us. This word fear means reverence to look to God and see and believe that he is amazing and we are not even close to who he is and what he has done. But we don't do that very well. We look to ourselves and revere who we are and what we can do. We know what the best life looks like. You know how much TV and movies we've watched? We know exactly what the good life looks like. God only knows 
everything there is to know and created life itself. So why would he have any idea at all what life should be like? That's something that we have been, something that I have been trying to say to myself is when I'm thinking like that is stop it. Stop thinking that way. Not that saying that is the answer. I'm not going to change someone or even change myself by saying stop it. But this phrase or something like it may open me up to do the work of thinking through what I am doing and why I am choosing to do things the way, way I see them as instead of the way God sees them as. This work with the help of the Holy Spirit may just bring down that force field that we talked about, may just unblind me so that I can see why I'm choosing a lesser life than what God wants for me. This is what it looks like to fear God. Have a reverence for God. As Ecclesiastes has told us, he is in heaven. We are not. He created. We are created. He knows everything. We know pretty much nothing. As Isaiah tells us, his ways are better than our ways. If we can believe that truth and know and accept our place in this life, then we can more clearly see God's way as the best way. You know that is the only way to get rid of these desires? We can't just eliminate them with our willpower. Right? We can't just say stop it when we're thinking about them. What we have to do is replace them with better desires, with what God has for our life. Now, I wish we could get into how we actually do that, but that would be a whole other sermon. But I think what we have to see at least is that we won't see that as good. We won't see God's way as good unless we first know our place in this world. We ask, what's that place that you're talking about? It's this. We don't belong to ourselves. We are not our own. We belong body and soul to the one who created us and now sustains us every single day. If we belong to him, he knows what's best for us and gets to decide what happens with our lives, where our time, money, energy, and thoughts go, who I get to marry, who I get to have sex with, who I need to repent to, who and how much I need to forgive. Everything in our lives, everything we do, we have to look to him for how it should be done. Again, I know that we might hear that and get it, and some of us may actually accept it, but we maybe don't happily accept it because we still don't see that as good. My hope is as we look at our fourth reason to listen that we see at the end of verse 13 here, it will help us to see not only that Solomon's wisdom is necessary to listen to, but also can help us with the struggle of accepting it. The end of verse 13 says, for this is the whole duty of man. His fourth reason to listen is because Solomon's message, fear God and keep his commandments, is literally what we were made for. It's why we're here. It's who we are, in a sense. Don't we all have that question? Don't we all want to know why we are here on earth? Well, if you've ever had that question, which if you have, the best minds in all of history have had it, so you'd be in good company, then listen to Solomon. Fear God and keep his commandments is what he says. And church, let me tell you, that is really good news. You maybe have seen examples of someone who is just clearly doing what they are made to do. People like Michael Phelps in the pool, Celine Dion on the stage, Billy Graham in the pulpit. You guys maybe and hopefully have better examples in your heads. 
But when these people are in the act of doing what they are so gifted at, doing what they were so clearly made to do, are they just miserable and surviving? Or are they vibrant and thriving? They're thriving. They're loving life. It's going well for them in that moment at least. Well, if that is true, can we see then how fearing God and keeping his commandments is not slavery or cosmic bullying? This truth doesn't bring us a dull and miserable life. If it, like our text says here, is the whole duty of man, if it's what we were made for, then embracing it will lead us to a flourishing life. That's what Solomon wants us to know. And he even got pretty specific with that, what that flourishing life could look like. Enjoy the wife of your youth. He also wrote Song of Solomon. If you know anything about that book, you have an idea of what at least part of that enjoying means. Party hard, he tells us. Eat good food, enjoy good drinks, work your butts off, educate yourselves, get wise, take risks. All of these things that could be considered earthly wisdom and now has been researched enough to confirm that people that live that type of life live the longest and are the healthiest and the happiest. So by following his wisdom, we get what we want in life. How amazing is that? God in his grace, the maker of heaven and earth, has laid out for us all his commands, the way he wants us to do this life. And even though he could have chosen to set it up in a way that is all bad news and suffering for us who are so unlike him, he chose to set it up in a way that if we choose his way, it will lead to a life that is full and complete, a life that every one of us wants. Church, that's something that we have to fight to believe. And when we are believing that, it shouldn't just end in our joy. It shouldn't just end in our happiness, but that joy and that happiness should bring us to worship him. Because he is the perfect creator and he is the perfect sustainer. But for the Christians in this room, as amazing as all that is, that is not all that we have to worship him for. For our final reason to listen, the endorser goes to judgment in verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's some heavy stuff. He wants to convince his readers to take Solomon's advice and fear God and keep his commandments because there will be a day when every human being will stand before the holy God and receive judgment. This man understood the law of God. He had good theology. Many people don't understand it anymore. Theology isn't important to them. They want to believe that at some point in history, God changed his mind on what his law required. They want to think that God doesn't require perfect obedience anymore. He finally realized around 2,000 years ago or so that this law was just too hard to follow. And because he's so loving and we humans are so awesome that the law is not important anymore. But there's nothing in the Bible, even in the New Testament, that changes God's requirement of perfect obedience. Even here it says that he will bring every deed into judgment. Not just a select few, like we try to do on our resumes, right? Just write down the good job experiences for the potential employer. Or at the gym, some people just write the scores that they do well on, keep the one secret that they do bad on. It says every deed. 
That means all things, the whole, everything that we have done throughout our lives, God will look at on judgment day. And to go even further, he says that he will combine what we have done with every secret thing. That means even if we have never carried out an action, but you secretly thought it, that will be judged too. Every ill thought that you've ever had toward another, every lustful thought, every covetous thought, everything good or evil that is a secret to the rest of the world, but not to God, the omniscient one, the one who knows and sees and hears all, will be judged. What does judged mean? It means God will decide if we have done what he created us for. Have we brought him glory? Did we fear him? Did we keep his commands perfectly? Were we people that were acceptable to him? If we were, our life will go on into eternity with him, with the rest of his people, where every longing and desire we've ever had will be perfectly met. If we weren't, our life will go on to eternity without him and with the rest of the people that were unacceptable and will continue into more and more suffering, never have our longings and desires met. Think about that. Even if every deed you ever carried out in life was good and pure, just one evil thought in secret would make you unacceptable to the perfectly holy God. That's the endorser's final reason to listen, fear God, and keep his commandments because you want to be acceptable to him on judgment day. Now I know some people like to get into discussion of whether or not that is loving of God. But if that's you, remember who we're dealing with again. He is in heaven. You are not. He created us. We were created. But that discussion would be hypothetical anyway, because not only does the Bible say that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning we are all unacceptable, but also if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we have done much more evil in our life than just one secret thought. We know that if we haven't met God's standard, we know that we have not met God's standard, and if we are brave enough to enter into the place of accepting and admitting that we are unacceptable to God, we would know and be broken over and understand that we need a miracle to get us out of that dark place. That miracle is not God changing his standard. He doesn't do that. The miracle is a righteousness that we talked about already this morning, a perfect record. But since we don't have one, what hope do we have? Those of us that have read on in the Bible and have heard the redemptive story that scripture tells, we know that that miracle exists. God the Son, Jesus, left heaven and came down to earth, stepped into this life and we, that we all struggle to live, and he lived it. Tempted as we are tempted, suffered in ways that we suffer, but never disobeyed God. He perfectly feared God. He perfectly kept his commandments. He did what he was sent here to do, perfectly follow the will of the Father, even when that meant that he had to give up his life when that meant that he had to take on all of the suffering and pain and judgment that those who would believe upon his name deserved. For those people who fear God, meaning that they know their place, they know that God is holy and they are not. They know and accept that God has a standard and they don't meet it. 
They know that God is their judge and they are to receive a proper judgment. But knowing this moves them to put their faith in Jesus Christ and his work. For those people, hope is given. A miracle is done. A perfect record is placed on them. What they need to be acceptable to God is gifted to them. So what else can we worship God for this morning? Christ allows us to know God not only as creator and sustainer, but also as redeemer. For the Christian, verse 14 has already happened. God has brought all our deeds into judgment, the public and the private, the known and the unknown. Everything that makes us unacceptable to him, Jesus took into himself and atoned for it on the cross. He was judged in our place. So why would he do such a thing? To prove to us that he loves us, that he cares about us, to give a reason for us to trust him and to know that he has our best interests in mind, to give us more of a reason to praise him, to worship him, to live our life for him, to live a life in complete reverence for him and obedience to him, not to avoid judgment like the original readers we're being called to in this text, but because we've already avoided judgment through faith in Jesus Christ. He knows that we struggle. He knows that we put other things in, in replace of him into our hearts, that we have these strong desires that rule our life instead of him. He knew that going into it, and he still died for us. We said this endorser wanted to show us who Solomon was, how much he cared about his readers, and why his wisdom is so important for our lives. Well, I want to show you that Christ is the true and better Solomon. Solomon could say, live your life for God because he chose to live a life without God, experience the vanity, so implied that living a life for God was much better. Jesus can say, live your life for God because he chose to live a life for God perfectly, experienced the joy, then even died for us so that we could experience that joy with him and through him. Solomon cared enough about his readers to share his wisdom with them and author three books that point them to God. Jesus cared enough about his, bre his bride to share himself, who is the wisdom of God, and author and perfect not just three books, but our entire faith. He is our inspiration to fear God. He is our inspiration to keep all his commands. If we can be so amazed, so blown away with who he is and what he's done, that's the fuel we need to obey. So as I close here, will we be convinced by these five reasons? Will we be open to this truth knowing that it's full of wisdom, that it came from a man who has lived and learned and cares for us, as well as from a God who not only created and sustained his people, but also has redeemed his people, declared them justified through faith, and now through that same faith is changing them and making them new and preparing them for a life forever lived in his peace and in his comfort. Will we decide to reset our life, repenting of our self-guided way of living, and turn to the faith of the God that leads us to a life lived in reality of his abundant love for us in the gospel. The call to do that is for everyone here.
No matter if you've been a Christian for many years or have never claimed Christ before. Somewhere in between. God is calling us away from a life lived without him and calling us into a life lived with him that is good for us and brings him the most glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I thank you for even the preparation time, Lord, that it took to think about what you were doing in my own heart and what people needed to hear, Lord. So now we just asked, as I did say a lot, that you would take whatever was from you and apply it to hearts, Lord. What I mean by apply, would you cut them to the heart, Lord? Would you affect them with what was said? Would you help them to know that it's from you, the maker of everything in the world, the creator, the sustainer? Would you help them to know you as redeemer, Lord? That you just didn't make them, you just don't sustain them every day and give them breath in their lungs, but you take their sins, you put them on yourself, and you die for them. And you did it knowing that they're gonna continue to fail. You did it knowing that they're gonna continue to reject you, and put other things in place of you in their hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to fight those things, that you would help us to keep Jesus as number one in our hearts. But we also thank you that you still went to the end for us and died for us even though we're not gonna be able to do that perfectly. So we long for the day that we will. We long for the day that sin will have no power over us, sin will have no presence in this world. There will be no more battle between our old self and new self that will fully be able to see you perfectly and will be able to rejoice and what you have given us, and who you are. So do that with these people's hearts, Lord. Make it real to us. Father, not just put it up in our heads, but actually make it a part of us. Help us to believe it. Somehow make it physical for us, Lord. That's why we thank you for the Lord's Supper. That it's not something that we just get to think about, that we actually get to take your body into our hands, and take your blood into our mouth, and we get to taste it. We get to think about and remember what you have done for us. So let us come to the table this morning, in the right way. Let us do work in our heads, see where our desires are leading us. See if we're going down this path that's not of you. Help us to get on that path that is of you, Lord. And not only that, but see that as the best way to live, Lord. May this all be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.